Hi, I'm Rachel Monteleone and welcome to Kittypedia, the podcast. I'm not an expert. However, I do speak with them with the view of providing you with expert information and advice to help you be the best parent that you can be. Together, let's give children the life they deserve and a positive future. Hello and welcome. Well, have you ever thought that as we sleep, we are at our most vulnerable and in our most defenseless state? Now, for this reason, it's really no surprise that many children crave the companionship, support and comfort of their parents as they wind down for bedtime. And for those with common sleep issues, it's characteristic that many children will make their way back into their parents' bed by habit and or simply just to help comfort their fears. But broken sleep patterns, as we know, and sleep deprivation for parents is a very real health risk. And for this reason, and many others, it's really important that a healthy sleeping routine and guidelines and boundaries are set for the entire family. So the question is, now what do you do when your child refuses to sleep in their bed alone and right throughout the night? Well, our special guest, Deb Herdman, is here to tell us exactly what that is. Now, a little bit about our guest. Deb Herdman is a mother, a registered nurse, a sleep practitioner with over 10 years experience, and thankfully one of our partners here at Kittypedia. Now, she's also an author of two e-books, uh, composer and developer of the Nainai Lullaby and an ever-growing Nainai brand overall. Now, on a regular basis, Deb presents on radio and podcasts locally and internationally on how parents can get good quality sleep by providing sleep solutions that actually work. Thank you so much for joining us today, Deb. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, Rachel, for having me on the uh, podcast. Uh, one of my favourite topics in the whole world is sleep. And I, I, you know, I just love sharing ways that parents can get back to good sleep. And we're very grateful for your time in, and for you lending us your expertise today. Now, as we know, there really is a multitude of reasons that could lead to why a child refuses to sleep in their own bed. Now, of course, you know, children are um, brought up and grow up in, in, in various different sort of households from a, a normal sort of healthy household. And in some cases, of course, we've got children that are in high risk households, of course. Now, we want to address today, I'm guessing, all, all households in, in this spectrum to be able to provide support to families, um, you know, everywhere. But it is a common situation that parents find themselves in uh, with children not wanting to sleep in their own bed. So I would just love to know initially, you know, what do you find are some of the more common reasons why children refuse to sleep in their bed alone? Uh, you know, Rachel, you, you hit the nail on the head in your opening um, with uh, two things that are the main reasons why children become disassociated from their own rooms. And that those two reasons are developmental stages and habits. So if we're looking at some of those developmental stages, um, certainly a lot of parents will be familiar with separation anxiety, which around that really from, you know, can be from as early as seven months on when your, your little one suddenly decides that no, they're not going to sleep in their cot and they just want to be in bed with you. And then 
you know when you're feeling exhausted you are you, you'll do anything for a good night's sleep so we're not here to say um, not sleeping you, your child in your bed is a bad thing but the most important thing to remember is everyone needs to be getting good sleep and if that's not happening then you need to look at ways to to um to make that right really it's our health is it's too important to our health not to be sleeping well mm. and the, the other thing too that you mentioned um was habits you know once you make a habit uh you have to go through the processes of breaking that habit and, mm. and making up a whole new system or a whole new set of routines to get back on track and in your experience then, Deb, how difficult can it be for parents then to identify and really pin down what the exact reason is and like, you know, for this for this situation and to be able to find a viable solution? I'd love to know your thoughts. Look, it can be a lot of reasons why um, sleep goes off in the first place. And certainly what we're seeing globally is the, the COVID stress is really affecting a lot of households. Wow. Um, we, we know even um, that children are becoming quite afraid of going to sleep, particularly, you know, the, the toddler age, the older toddler age, the preschool and the, and the lower primary children are um, terrified of going to sleep because they think they're going to die. And, I can't um, believe that. Really? I know. It, it's really, a, it's a huge psychological impact, um, being that afraid to go to sleep in your own room because you think you're going to die. And not only do they think themselves that they're going to die, but their parents might die. So, um, you know, that's just one of many, many, many reasons that sleep can go off track and lead you to finding that you can't settle your child and uh, the only way that you can calm them down is to bring them in your own bed. Um, you know, some of those things that could be as simple as lo losing um, losing your house. Uh, COVID's certainly been responsible for a lot of people, you know, changing their, their situation, um, losing a job, changing houses. Um, Financial pressures. Financial pressures are absolutely huge. And, and all those things mean more anxiety in the home. Anxiety yep. is, uh, is like a disease in itself. Um, you know, when one parent feels stressed, uh, pass it on to the other parent. Children pick up. They're very sensitive to, to any anxiety. They pick up on that. And then you can go down this whole um, pathway of being really hard to settle. And then when they're hard to settle, they're, everyone becomes sleep-deprived. And, uh, you know, sometimes if the only place you can get sleep is to put them in your bed, that's what tends to happen. Yeah. It's, it's you know, I guess being empathetic to understanding that children don't necessarily understand everything there is, nor should they have to with COVID. But all they know is their world as it is, as, as everybody's has changed. Yes. But it's a big thing for them because they've got, you know, less to compare things to. Everything is bigger and their problems are bigger. I think we have to sort of remember that as adults and as parents and carers. So um, no doubt it's obviously become something that um, we have to understand, that, you know, this is one of the reasons why they are so needy at the moment in particular. So thank you for sharing that with us. Now, I just wanted to acknowledge uh, we published your article titled, My Child Refuses to Sleep in Their Bed, I Need Help. Now, for someone who hasn't read the article yet, can you please tell us what it's about and, of course, what inspired you to write it? Uh, 
Well, you know, this I was inspired to write this because many of the parents that I see that um, that I consult with will say um, I always ask them what what things have you tried to uh, to help your child sleep and. One of the things they often say is, uh, look, at the moment they're sleeping in our bed and my husband and I, you know, partner and I, we can't sleep together. He sleeps down the other end of the house. And um, for some parents, they all just join in the, the same bed and nobody's getting a good night's sleep. So I thought, you know, this is a great um, article to write up on because it certainly mm-hmm. does cause a lot of family stress, particularly if you're sleeping in your bed with your child and your partner's somewhere else in the house. It, uh, Absolutely. You know, it really does affect your relationship. Now, now, COVID situations aside, in 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 more common and in, in a normal circumstance, you know, we know as I just said earlier that children, of course, can become very needy um, for their parents' attention at night. So, just in general terms, why do you think that is? You know, there's a, a saying that um, we know that uh, goes something like, have you filled your child's emotional cup today? And often children need you to have some one-on-one time. And, you know, we're all busy in a busy household. Sometimes that one-on-one time, the only place they can grab that is at bedtime. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately for a lot of parents, you know, that can become a, a, a big issue because you might have more than one child, you might have a baby and a toddler and, you know, other children and other things that are part of our normal household to get done. And you may not be on the same page as your your child that wants to have you and only you for, uh, in some cases, hours before they go to sleep. Um, and it's really important that you spend some time filling their emotional cup and hopefully helping them to learn how to become calmer and relaxed about going to bed. And it's probably mindful for us to understand that realistically the room is dark, you know, things can look scary and and imaginations run wild. Shadows can look like other things and scary monsters. And no doubt, you know, all of these things with what, you know, just worrisome thoughts um, can enter their brain. And like you said, if they don't feel that their cup has been filled and or depending what else is happening in their in their life. Um, be it at, at preschool um, or at primary school. Um, as we know, there's all situations that we encounter uh, every day with, um, you know, bullying and all kinds of things. So I think we just need to, to be really quite mindful that, like us, that that's the time with their brain, with their own thoughts and in the dark. So it's, uh, yes. it's probably mindful for us to be empathetic about that, do you think? You're right, Rachel. Certainly, you know, you need to look at things from your child's perspective at times because even though you often, well, I mean, we all think our children can understand exactly what we're talking about, but often the way they're, they're not developmentally uh, and neurologically able to process a lot of the conversations that we have with our children because they're just not at that age where they can um, uh, understand effectively what we're trying to communicate. Mm. Um I think I'd really like to point out too, one of the things that you mentioned with dreaming and nightmares, I've had parents that will say their um, their baby won't sleep because they can see that they're dreaming and they're, they're twitching and we always kind of think of that twitching as being a dream state, but um, that's not necessarily so. What, what we know about dreaming and nightmares, so that starts to develop around the age of two. So um, 
children that then can become uh, often they're watching more screens and and starting to watch movies and although they might seem like nice characters they can promote fear in um, children and often that comes out as a nightmare so um, parents will often say too well I'm not sure if my child is having a nightmare or a night terror and you know what we know about night terrors is three to eight is the normal age for night terrors to happen and with with night terrors anxiety and sleep depression sleep um sorry uh, deprivation are more likely to to lead to a night terror happening so would you say night terrors they are normal um and that is a normal um i guess experience for them to show signs of nighttime worry and anxiety then uh, not, yes, I mean, they, they, dreaming and, and night terrors are normal part of development. Um, what we know is when, when children that are dreaming, they'll wake, if they wake up, when they wake up, I should say, they may remember their dreams, but with night terrors, they're not remembered. So um, although you can comfort your child during out of a dream and, and reassure them and talk to them and resettle them, with a night terror, you can't do that. You generally just have to keep them safe, keep them from harming themselves because they can be throwing their arms and their legs all around the place and wanting to get up and seemingly, you know, looking right through you like it's it's quite scary for parents more than the child. But just so keeping the, them safe and letting letting them come out of that because they're so still that, asleep. There's nothing we can do to, to prevent them from happening then is what you're saying. Um, well, as, as I mentioned, that anxiety and um, sleep deprivation, so if they're not sleeping well, they're more likely to have sleep terrors. Mm. How about night walkers as well? How... Uh, yeah, night, night walkers the same in that kind of older, you know, toddler age that um, they can start walking around and often, it, that, I mean, they, they still are asleep, but they're in a, um, a, an active, they are... Uh, it's seemingly like you're unconscious when you're sleeping, but what happens with with night, with walking, is that you become more, your body becomes active. Very hard to explain that. But, um, you know, their muscles, everything is active, but their mind is still asleep. Is, is that, and, you know, as a result of anxiety then? It can be, yeah, it can be. And the same as like bedwetting and, and a lot of things that um, will wake children up. Anxiety can be one of the things that causes that. Mm. So getting back to the topic about um, having children stay uh, in their bed um, for the whole night, now how important is it for parents to set boundaries uh, as early as possible? Yeah, look, um, having some sort of boundary and um, being consistent with those boundaries is really important we know that children respond so much better learn so much better and can recall what they're learning when there's boundaries um, if you don't have boundaries your child has kind of no idea of how their day should look or what their expectation is and often you might be um, reprimanding them one minute and then letting them do exactly that thing the next minute so it's really hard for them to know their, where they fit in in the family. Mm. Do you think um, setting boundaries in situations like that can help build resilience in children also? Oh, yes, definitely. Because, you know, what we want is for children to become independent with their sleep so that they, they know that um, they can rely on their own instincts to be able to fall back to sleep and disassociate from having someone to... to um, 
have to help them back to sleep. So that is a part is what you call resilience. So if they're feeling stressed, they don't need mum or dad to come and help them um, feel better. They actually know how to do that themselves. Mm. And and this is what we want of you know as they grow into adults, we want them to be able to have resilience to stress. And no doubt, when you're setting up that resilience and and sort of teaching them through it, you know, no doubt the. Uh, the situation isn't pretty initially, but well worth it in the long run. But, you know, I guess we all want to ensure that children obviously feel safe and relaxed as well. And it's natural that, that many parents then, of course, ease this instead of um, having the children in their bed by jumping into the child's bed to ease them, which parents know almost has um, up to 100% sort of uh, success rate of getting them to sleep. But, you know, this is, isn't always isn't always a, a long-term solution, um, of course, if it's sort of happening on a nightly sort of basis and for an extended period of time. So, you know, from your perspective, how important do you think it is for parents to be patient and understand that in some cases you just have to apply, I guess, a great deal of persistence in these situations and not to rush anything? That is- uh, yeah, like like insomnia and we certainly can call it insomnia in children um, people might be surprised parents might be surprised to hear that but the um, the international classification for insomnia is uh, delayed for children particularly is taking more than 15 minutes to go to sleep um, doing that three times a week and doing that for three months so that is a classical in, uh, classification of um, insomnia mm. and what what we find that is that to be able to unlearn things that prevent you from going to sleep takes a lot of persistence. You have to keep going over and over those things so that you're reprogramming your brain to uh, learn how to fall asleep in a different way. And one of the things that I would say to parents that are really having a, a lot of issues with children is you know, you, you are better to camp in their room or find alternatives where the child is in their own bed rather than resorting to them coming to your bed now. For yeah. many parents, the child starts off in their own bed at this, you know, the start of the night and then, at, you know, there could be a, a golden time of 2 a.m. or it could be many times during the night when things go pear-shaped and then they end up in their own, in back in mum or dad's bed. Um, certainly that is going to be a much harder habit to break because you, you, the child, first of all, doesn't really know where they're sleeping because they go to sleep in one place and they wake up in another. Mm. So I guess it's really common when transitioning from a co-sleeping scenario such as what you've just said with the, the, the parents camping out in the child's bedroom and or them tr- transitioning through the parents' room throughout the night. But when making changes to be able to stop these things from happening, children are going to sort of have their pushback and, of course, they're going to cry and they're going to be scared and they're going to worry and they're going to miss their parents and all of the things that you mentioned earlier. So in that instance, you mean, what should parents do through this transition period? You mean, should they, I, I guess, maybe not rationalise these feelings but rather expect and make room for the fact that all of these big feelings are going to sort of come up and, and I guess... In, in the grand scheme of things, all of those feelings are just part of the process of um, moving from a, a co-sleeping scenario to, I guess, the, the children just sleeping in, in their bedroom by themselves? Look, you know, I think children love to sleep in bed with their parents. I mean, that's their perfect scenario of, of the best place to sleep. 
And, you know, when you're, you're changing that, there are going to be some tears. There's bound to be some, um, and not, not necessarily from the emotional aspect, but sometimes it's just your child having a, a tantrum to say, no, they don't want to do that. They don't want to go to their own room. And, and you know, like anything that you give a, a young child, if they have big enough demonstration about it, mum or dad will cave in and they'll get their own way. But, you know, it can be very anxiety-driven for a lot of children uh, having to go back to their own room, particularly if they've got some fears associated, you know, with their room. And we try to make that um, transitioning phase as nice as possible. Mm. So it's really important for parents, first of all, to be very calm about the whole process. Don't don't get involved in having a an argument or um, with your with your child. Make make it very clear your expectation of them and be very calm about the whole thing. Um, cover all those excuses for not wanting to go to bed, particularly if they, you know, if they don't want to start off in their own room. Um, and, and, you know, kids can have a, a million excuses. They yeah, need to they kiss and delay every tactics. teddy bear in the room. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> or they need, you know, five drinks of milk or they need to kiss the dog six times or, <laughs> you know, whatever reason that may be cover all those reasons, and then go to bed. So in, in your um, expertise, then, how important is it for parents to set a nighttime routine uh, structure that is followed, I guess, sort of diligently all the time so that the children understand what's coming up and what's the next step then? Yeah, it is really important, not so much with the little babies because, you know, it takes a bit of time for, you know, babies to get used to being uh, earth side shall we say but for older babies that are, are not wanting to go to um, sleep really easily they've passed that newborn stage where they're very sleepy i always think that that's the best time to start off your routine and parents are often confused with well do i actually have a routine or don't i have a routine and really your routine is just all those things that you do at bedtime that are the same and, and consistent what I actually see a lot of the time is that parents will have a routine that's way too long. So, you know, they push their child into overtiredness without really knowing. They might be having a lovely time doing all sorts of lovely experiences in, as part of that routine. But, you know, you, your aim is to get them to, to go to sleep. So, you know, keeping your routine short, being very consistent with what you do. Um, and again, checking that the room is you know, is a nice room to sleep in. It's a nice sleep space. It's, you know, it's got a comfortable bed. And, you know, if they're old enough to have a, a pillow, the pillow's, you know, nice for them. And uh, the room's clean and not cluttered, nice and dark. Uh, a nightlight is, is okay. Leaving the door open because children like to know that they can access you if they're feeling afraid. Mm -hmm. um, generally, these are all the terms that we call sleep hygiene. So it is really important to have a look at all those things. Do you think parents should reduce the amount of choices for children as well and just not ask too many questions before their children's bedtime? Do you think that's a, another thing that they should focus on or not? Uh, oh, absolutely. Asking your child, are you tired, is uh, like, no, don't ask them that because <laughs> <laughs> they'll always say no. <laughs> There's not that many that'll say, oh, yes, mum, I'm very tired. I'm yeah, going well, to I'll bed. I want to go to so. sleep now. <laughs> yeah. 
And what about parents then, I guess, just focusing on the positives as well? So in saying things like, I will see you in my dreams and or, you know, giving the comfort that, of course, that you'll be there first thing in the morning, I guess, as a way of providing some security for the child, um, which in turn will encourage them to stay in their own bed. Be thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, be be very um, positive about the whole sleep situation, about the room Um Recently, I, I was talking to a mum that um, leaves, makes the room a really lovely experience and, and then says to her child, now mummy's got to go out and do something for a minute. Uh, you stay here and I'll be right back. And she's kind of giving her child the opportunity to stay in their room in the daytime alone for just a minute or two. And, uh, you know, they can then associate, well, mummy's come back. There's nothing bad happened to me. I'm okay. Um yeah, certainly keeping um, a really positive uh, feeling around the whole bedtime routine is really, really important. I can't stress that enough because once anxiety hits in, that, that actually can lead to broken sleep as well. And so what about for children, just for a moment, that have real separation anxiety and ex- extreme cases? Just to touch on that for a moment. Look, I, I think realize that it is a developmental stage and that it will pass but uh, you know i think too you need you need to providing provide them with that emotional security to help them um, know that they're loved and you know you, you give them lots of cuddles help them feel safe we we love to use our playing music therapy for situations like that or use it use it in many many situations for helping children um, learn to associate sleep with something that's neurologically uh, as in fantastic for their brain and also helps to calm them down and relax them one of the lovely things that we love about our our play therapy we have a a a bear called sleepyhead ted and um, parents bring him out at sleep time so it becomes a really exciting moment when ted comes out because the child can't have him at any other time it's only at bedtime and they go through the process of of um, putting on Ted's pajamas when they're getting their pajamas on, and this is all about keeping a really positive. So again, filling their emotional cup, playing with them at bedtime, but all that the the play is associated with being prepared for sleep and being prepared to to um, to know that it's sleep time. Yeah, uh, and also one of the other things that we love about using Ted is. When children decide that they don't want to cooperate, the parent plays with Ted, <laughs> which um, is a bit of a, a psychological trick because children, as we know, they love to be the centre of attention. So when mum or dad plays with Ted and the child's off in the in the corner having a tantrum, it means that the, the parent doesn't get involved with that tantrum. So you're basically ignoring that tantrum behaviour. And the child soon realises, hey, there's a bit of fun going on over there with a mum or dad playing with Ted. I, I want to be in on that too. And it, it's a way of kind of gearing everything back towards a really positive bedtime. Mm. Now, I just wanted to acknowledge we've been speaking about, you know, single children at the moment, but of course in so many households there's, there's more than one child. So what about uh, situations like this with older or younger siblings? 
and then watching these scenarios and these tantrums as well with their brother or sister. You know, how can we limit these situations if if maybe just one of your children has, uh, you know, problems with um, sleeping um, in, in, in the scenario and others don't? So how can we stop other siblings from, I guess, getting upset also and affected by maybe their tantrums and, and their anxiety? Yeah, look, I, I think it's, you know, really a matter of, First of all, being calm, giving each child that bit of special time before bed, acknowledging that, you know, particularly if you've got one child that takes up more time than others, having both parents involved in the whole settling process. It, it really becomes hard if um, you're in a situation where you're a single parent and you've got um, more than one child that's uh, either having difficulty sleeping or uh, one will go to sleep easily and the other one takes up, you know, maybe two hours of your time to get them to settle. Mm. Um, and one, and, that, and usually, you know, often that child that settles really easily is the one that kind of misses out on that um, special time at bedtime. Mm. Interesting. Now, I just would love to just maybe acknowledge what the do's and don'ts in this situation, starting with the don'ts. I would think that some of the, the absolute do-nots and it wouldn't be acceptable to as you said earlier, to maybe keep the bedroom door shut as this would only increase their anxiety, would you say? Yes, absolutely, yeah. It's really um, much easier for children to know. I mean, they might understand the rule that they have to stay in their bed, but um, they also like to know that if they need you, that you can hear them and, they, and you'll come to them. And if, if they can get out of bed to go to your room, um, that certainly helps them um, with any anxiety of being locked in a room. As you can imagine yourself, if you were locked in a room and not able to get out, it, it's anxiety provoking. Mm. And of course, um, sort of punishing them for crying also, would you suggest that that's an absolute don't? Yeah, again, it's all about just being calm, ignoring the behaviour that you don't want or even saying to them, um, Mummy, uh, mummy can't talk to you when you're crying, or mummy can't talk to you when you're shouting. So if you're able to uh, to stop that, then you know I, I can stay here. But and you can certainly use that as a strategy. I can't stay with you while you're shouting at me. So I, I'm just going to go out of the room for a minute or move away from them. And it's helping them learn that that behaviour is not going to get them anywhere, or that you know you you can't help them when they're in that. Uh, when they're doing that kind of behaviour. Mm. Of course, bribing them for staying in bed would be a big no-no, which can be sort of rise with all kinds of problems as well. But I'd just like to know what your thoughts are and if you'd put that in the no-do-not-do category. Yeah, look, some parents will use um, a lot of different techniques. We'll, we'll call it bribery. <laughs> you know, that could be as simple as giving them a sticker when they've um, stayed in bed all night. I, I mean, it really is very age-related. A, a younger child, you, you can offer them all the things in the world and they don't really care because what they want is to sleep in your bed. Mm. Um, you know, they're not, a, not in an age where they can process rewards and behaviours. Mm. And of um, Another thing for parents not to do is to beat themselves up, do you think, as well? Because I guess they can sort of put a lot of pressure on themselves. Certainly, yeah. But, you know, we're all trying to do the best thing. Um, sometimes the advice you're given is not the best thing. And, you know, it's really easy to to blame yourself. And I have, you know, parent many parents will say, look, I've done the wrong thing. You know, sometimes you do things because, you know, that you need to sleep and you'll resort to anything. But, 
You know, I, I really believe that if you don't want your child to sleep in your bed, you're much better to um, use some other strategies to keep them in their own room. And at the very least, get some professional help because, you know, people are out there that can help you with these problems so that they don't become huge. Yeah. And then I guess if you were to summarize, oh, go, go, go. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I want to, I just thought of something that I do want to touch on, um, and that's putting um, your child in their bedroom as a punishment. You know, often that kind of timeout scenario, that's probably one of the things that I really wouldn't recommend um, because then the bedroom becomes a place of, you know, it's not a nice place to go. You go there when you're in trouble. Yeah. And we want kids to, to fall in love with going to sleep. Yes. And then I guess this sort of, I guess, wraps up um, what we're trying to sort of get across and helping families. So how would you summarise, I guess, the the do's and I guess the key messages um, from this chat today for anyone watching and listening? Yeah, look, I think the do's are is to to stay calm about the whole sleep thing. Be very consistent. Don't let your routine become too long. Um We've got some lovely uh, resources that um, children can use and parents can use to help them stay calm. And one of them is our Nine Nine Music, which is just an amazing tool for getting over that anxiety hump that, you know, is one of the things that delays sleep and then causes uh, broken sleep from sleep deprivation. Um, If you don't want your child to go into their bed, um, into your bed, sorry, then... um, just don't start that in the first place because, you know, once it's hard to break a habit once you make one. And, you know, one of the things that parents can do, and, I, and I've told many, many parents this, is that if their child is just so attached to being in bed with them, to look at a different strategy, which I call the Friday night sleepover. And that means that on a night that suits you, and often I pick Friday night because it's, you know, the start of the weekend, that's when you you let your child come in and have a sleepover with you and you make a big thing of it. It's a special night. And um, children really look forward to that. So it, it kind of keeps them happy. They want to be in bed with you, but you're actually making a rule around that. Yes, you can come and sleep with me, but it's on a Friday night. Mm, great advice. And um, we'll definitely have the link through to your article, which gives a lot of other uh, helpful advice. Um of course, if anyone else has got any other questions uh, specific to their scenario um, and, and or would just love to reach out to you, whereabouts can they find you? Uh, they can find me at 9i.com.au. Awesome. That's, and we'll uh, have all those links in the show notes and also to um, where they can purchase your 9i uh, CD and in TED as well, would you say? Uh, yep. 9i uh, can be purchased a, a number of ways, our lullaby um, and, and TED as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today, Deb. I've really loved this chat and no doubt it's going to help lots of people and everyone watching and listening. So thanks so much for your expertise. We'll take care. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. It's been great. No problem. Thank you for your time and we'll chat again. But until then, take take care and, and just be safe. All right. Bye. Bye. I'm Rachel Monteleone and you've been listening to Kittypedia, the podcast. You can have full access to Kittypedia by visiting our website at kittypedia.com.au or following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube. We're all here to help make the world a better place for our children and for generations to come. You can start today by helping us reach other parents by going to Apple Podcasts, 
subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you for listening and be sure to give my love to the kids. Bye.